speaking of things that affect us that did not affect you know our ancestors in the savanna it has a fancy name it's called hyperbolic discounting basically it means that i think that the present is much more important than the future so i'm going to have that donut now and i'm not going to worry that maybe you know i'm going to gain weight if i keep having a donut every single day you know or that i'm going to go to the doctor and the doctor is going to be like oh Agnes, your cholesterol is not good. You need medication and then I'll be have, you know, have that anxiety come back. Because the donut right now, it just looks so good. It smells so good. It's loaded with amazing sugar. And I mean, what's better than a donut? I mean, I know maybe it's a salty person, maybe a piece of sushi or something, but I just think that what's now is much more important. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. In this podcast, we continue to explore the hot topic of what the workplace will look like in the coming months and years. Many business leaders I've talked to are making decisions based on their past experiences, their individual leadership styles, and their beliefs about what the world should look like. In other words, they're following their gut. But in doing so, it seems to me that they risk making decisions based on outdated paradigms, personal biases, and maybe the fear of change. My guest today is Agnes Vishnevkin, the Chief Operating Officer of D Disaster Avoidance Experts, a consulting firm that uses cutting-edge behavioral economics research to help corporate clients address potential threats, seize unexpected opportunities, and resolve persistent people problems. Thanks for joining me today, Agnes. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. There's so much I want to talk to you about. I love the, this combination of using behavioral economics to think about how we design work, how we lead our businesses. So let's start with just the dummies version of behavioral economics. What are we talking about when you're talking about behavioral economics? We're talking about how psychology and our behavior impacts our decision in the, in the business world. So economics is the business world. But however, uh, there's a lot of psychology in there. And one of kind of the inspirations for my work and for my business is the work of a Nobel laureate, uh, Daniel Kahneman, who won the Nobel Prize back in 1978 for his work in economics. And it, there was a lot of psychology there that kind of talked about all the surprising and unexpected ways that our, you know, the way we think, our brains, you know, make decisions that are really irrational. And it goes back to, you know, why, where we come from. And humans did not evolve for the modern world. We did not evolve to live in a world with podcasts and smartphones and cars. We did not evolve for that. Humans evolved in the savanna back in Africa hundreds of uh, thousands of years ago. And back there, we, we didn't have all this stuff. Life was very simple. You run away from the tiger or you get eaten by the tiger. And life was very dangerous because if you see a shadow, you think it might be a tiger, you don't run away. I mean, it's like a life and death thing. So we evolved to be like, really, that's why there's so much anxiety in our world today. You know, anxiety disorders, you know, I have one, like a third of the people have one because there's like, you know, notifications on our phone, 
you know, terrible news, you know, uh, coming at us from TV, from radio. And our brain is wired to really just like go on alert anytime there's a shadow of a threat. Because if we didn't do that, we wouldn't have survived. Our ancestors survived and that's why we're here today. But however, we're just so ill adapted for today's world. And so behavioral economics is about using our brain that evolved for the savannah for today's world in the 21st century. So when we talk about fight or flight responses, are those are hardwired into us, but are those our only responses to potentially threatening circumstances? Uh, do, are there more objective ways of determining how we respond to a threat? There are more there are better ways that we can learn and practice, but automatically, you know, what we are wired to do, what we've evolved to do is just fight or flight. And there's also freeze. So fight, flight, or freeze. Kind of like Dan headlights, you know, uh, I don't know what to do. That happens to me a lot. Uh, which is, I've heard some people describe that as kind of like flight within yourself, like internal flight, but I call it freeze. So, but we can learn to be different, but that's, we just, we have to work at it. It's not automatic. And it doesn't make sense to just work on it for every decision. You know, if my decision, you know, what kind of donut I I want to have, you know, I mean, whatever, don't waste the resources. It's very resource intensive to, to do this work. And the way to decide whether it's worth it is to think about, is this the situation that, you know, my ancestors may have faced back in the savannah? Would they have needed to make a strategic plan to return to the office after a global pandemic? No, there was no workplace, you know? So it's, we're not evolved to make long-term plans. You know, we're not evolved to think for the long-term. So that's how you know when you need to put in that work to really focus and to overcome, to go against our gut. So when we're making, you know, I guess we all make decisions with, imperfect knowledge, right? Uh, We can't know everything. And I'd argue that a bias towards action is always preferable to just sitting on the sidelines, waiting to see what's going to happen, especially as a business leader, especially when there are people, you know, looking to you as a leader to do something, to make something happen, to, you know, protect them, to move an organization forward, to keep things healthy in our business ecosystem. So, but I've seen where by leaders' biases, whether they recognize them or not, mislead them in evaluating whatever data is available. What are some things leaders can do to better understand the current environment and predict what it might look like into the future? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that it's important to consider all aspects of a decision, including aspects that you know, of a decision, of a situation, of a context that I might not like. For example, you know, the pandemic is happening and I'm just like very, very afraid to go anywhere. You know, I don't want to get COVID. But really, how dangerous is it to meet my friend outside, you know, to sit on her porch? It's not dangerous. So I need to override my feelings and I need to really look at the data. The data will say, you know, it's fine. The risk is incredibly low outside. On the other hand, there are folks who are right now making back-to-work work plans, and we're doing a lot of uh, talks and consulting right now with companies talk, talking about back-to-the-office plans because people think, okay, like, pandemic is over, we have vaccines, excellent. You know, 
I would like to believe that. I want the pandemic is all, to be over. I got my vaccine and, you know, I'd like to think that everyone, you know, rushed the, the Walgreens and everything, CVS and whatever they got and got, you know, all the vaccine and, you know, everything they can get. But in reality, when we look at the data, so many people are not vaccinated yet for whatever reason. And even depending on different states and cities, vaccination rates vary. Then also there are many uh, different variants coming out. There's Delta variant and, you know, we're just beginning with the Greek alphabet. I mean, there's a lot more down there. You know, we don't know to what extent are some variants are going to be, you know, more transmissive, even though we have vaccines. You know, we might need to develop new vaccines. Things might happen. You know, kids are back in school. Mask policies vary. So if I just say, you know, I'm done with the pandemic, everyone come back to the office nine to five, Monday through Friday, I'm over it, you know. A month from now, am I going to have to change that and do like a yo-yo effect for everyone? You know, it's important to look at things that I don't, you know, want to see because it's uncomfortable. Who wants to do uncomfortable things? Who wants to do that? It's, it's uncomfortable for a reason. So it's very, very important to look at all sides of the story. You know, maybe ask someone who you trust for an outside opinion. Uh, so those are just a few things that we can do to make sure that our decisions are prepared for the long term. So try to collect as much information from other angles uh, outside of our own experience to, to look at something and then think about what the consequences, how in different, uh, different variables that change into, into, the, into the future, how this decision I'm making now may need to be changed or be affected by what happens uh, in three, six, nine months or years even down the road. Exactly. And you want to be prepared. You want to have a flexible plan. And again, you want to look at all the information that might be uncomfortable and upsetting, you know, so that's just very important. You know, I want to go with my gut and only, you know, read, you know, have the news that's there because the other half of the news I disagree with, you know, but even if I disagree with it, if it comes from a worthwhile source and it's, uh, you know, good evidence and good research, it's very important to look at it as a leader. We really have to, you know, bite the bullet and do what's uncomfortable you know, to, to take, you know, the, you know, our stakeholders and our employees in the right direction for the long term. What kind of tools are there? I mean, I don't think many of us, even a lot of, of really good leaders that I've, I've worked with over the years, I think when we get into those areas that are really outside of our comfort zones, and some of us have very broad comfort zones, I would argue that I've got a very broad comfort zone. I, I feel pretty competent to deal with most things that come my way. But there are things outside of that, you know, things that make me uncomfortable at some point. Um, what are some tools that a leader can utilize in order to be more comfortable, to recognize this is an area that either I don't have a competency or this is just an area, this is an area of thought that would lead to something that I don't want to happen. So I just want to avoid even going down that path. What are some tools I could use to uh, to be more comfortable or to you know be objective in at least facing uh, and considering that information? Yeah, that's a great question. And when you say you want to like avoid going down the wrong path, so that's the name of my consulting company. It's Disaster Avoidance Experts. So that's what we kind of want to do, and we look through all of the research that you know as it comes out, the recent behavioral economics research, and put together a variety of decision making tools. And so I'm going to share with you the shortest tools that we tool that we have. It's something I keep on my desk. Uh, so I, it's a little card. 
it's it's the size of a business card it's folded into a tent card it's just it's actually on the other side is my business card and you know folks you know can get these I know it's like a couple of dollars yeah. on our website at disasterwarnsexperts.com. But the best thing about it is that it sh it shares the five tips from avoiding disastrous decisions. And so here are the, these five tips that are very easy. And this is just kind of for a quick decision. And this is kind of to give you a flavor of the kind of tools that we've put together that leaders like yourself and others can use. And so what are the five questions that you ask yourself? The first one is what important information have I not yet fully considered. So in the example of, you know, bringing back people from, you know, remote work, what have I not yet considered? So this is like maybe some uncomfortable information. Maybe I haven't done a survey of my employees to see what they want. Maybe I want to go back to the office and maybe I miss being around people. But, you know, it's, it's amazing. Only about half the employers that we work with have even surveyed their staff. They never know. Maybe people hate to be back in the office or most of them do. And actually, surveys say that only about 10 to 15% of people overall want to come back nine to five to the office. So what important information did I not yet fully consider is number one. Number two is what dangerous cognitive biases might I be, you know, falling for? So for example, the planning fallacy, you know, everything goes as planned, but you know, it doesn't. If I have to be somewhere in 10 minutes, I shouldn't leave the house 10 minutes before I need to be there because let's be honest, you know, the chances of even me forgetting my keys and having to go back up to like traffic or, you know, something like that. So what are the judgment errors that I haven't considered? Number three is what would a trusted and objective advisor say? And we just touched on that. So, you know, if Mike is, you know, my old colleague and a great friend and always has good advice, I should just call him up or text him or whatever, send him an email. What do you think? And if there's no, not enough time or it's middle of the night, just close your eyes and imagine what would Mike say? Oh my gosh, you would tell me this is a terrible idea. Okay. You know, we can get a lot of the benefit without even calling out. I don't recommend anybody using me as the guide for what would Mike say, because it would probably be inappropriate and not necessarily helpful. So don't use me. Find somebody you really trust. But okay, go ahead. Sorry. That's funny. Okay. So number four is how have I addressed all the ways that this could fail? That's something we often don't do because we do post-mortem. We're like, well, this failed. Oh, let's have a meeting and, you know, a plan and like a report of like all the ways this went wrong. No, don't do that. I mean, do that. But like what's better is to do a pre-mortem before you do it. Say, what are all the ways that it could wrong, go wrong? Everybody three write three things down privately and then submit them. And if I said that, you know, because my supervisor doesn't know what she's doing, you know, it was anonymous. <laughs> and then we can go with all these things that maybe some of them are not very, you know, kosher or like to say in public company, but that is a very, very reliable way to avoid a disaster. You know, just take a little a bit of time to plan in advance and to really visualize what can go wrong. And then a lot of times you can prevent it in advance. How great would that be? Yeah, that's really interesting because I've been through a lot of planning processes where the uh, the facilitator in a strategy planning session or something has us look forward a year forward and say, if you reach all of your goals for the year, what will you have accomplished in order to get there? But I like that idea of saying, what if you horribly miss your goal at this end of this year? What would have taken you away from that? 
and you know, if if you know, what are the worst case scenarios in this situation? And you know, what was the path to each of those? What would that have looked like? I think that's a great, great tool. That's that's very interesting. Yeah, that's exactly. You know, if everything, if all my you know wildest dreams come true, what do I need to do? If all my wildest nightmares come true, you know why? Then you write those things down, and then you pick the top things, and you just make sure that they don't happen. And yeah, that's exactly. It's exactly like the mirror image of like what you just described. Exactly. And so the last thing is what like new information really would oh, cause ahead. me to change my mind. Yeah, the last one is just what would cause you to revisit this decision. And we can go back to some of these. But this is really good for people who have like analysis paralysis or teams. It's like, oh, I don't know. This is too scary. I just can't decide. Well, then you'll never decide. Or it's just like so much uncertainty. So then you just agree with your team or just on your own. You decide at what point would I change my mind, you know, and, and we do this often with hiring in the, in the HR world. You know, someone might be get like 90 days probation. So maybe certain benefits don't set in, or maybe you need a different cause for letting someone go within the first like 30, 90 days or something like that. So we already do that. And here, and here the idea is to do that for other decisions, for other decisions. You know, oh, I want to sign up for this, you know, for this gym, you know, or something like that. You know, how, you know, but I'm not sure it's too far. Well, if I'm sick of the drive, I will just, you know, forfeit the rest of my fee. And I've decided that in advance. Then, okay, just make the decision and wait three months, for example. It's interesting. The, uh, so you're, you're looking, uh, you're making a, a shorter term investment, but you, that helps you build a commitment to, to stick with whatever change for a period of time so you can actually accurately gauge where that's working yeah and that avoids like the uncertainty of like oh i'm always not sure am i, am I doing the right decision like oh just like anxiety who wants anxiety nobody wants anxiety you know we have it so we just want less so exactly so just decide in advance and then leave it alone leave it alone and let's take a quick break good morning hr is brought to you by imperative premium background checks with fast and friendly service if you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 12 and enter the keyword Agnes. That's A-G-N-E-S. On Thursday, September 30th, I'll be hosting a free webinar entitled Beyond Values, Building an Ethical Business Environment. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of business recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this program after September 30th, you can still watch the recording of this webinar, as well as our previous webinars, on our website for credit for free. And now back to my conversation with Agnes Vizhnevkin. I really love that you're an ex expert in behavioral economics, and, uh, and you admit that you have the very anxieties that behavioral economics is designed to uh, help alleviate. <laughs> and so you're, you're you know, that's uh, that's good. I mean, you know, uh, it's sometimes it's a physician heal thyself, right? I mean, we all know that 
you know, at least at least you're open to the idea that, you know, you get it, but there's certain things that are just probably outside of your control and you just have to try to modify your behavior as you go along. I think that's a lot of leaders could, could benefit from that. Yeah. And I think we're all human. We, you know, our brains are wired in a similar way and it really helps me a lot with my decision-making uh, coaching clients with my, you know, with the folks I work with and in my personal life, it really just helps me learn a lot faster. You know, when I know that, you know, I'm just not built for this world. And that's why we just have everyday's anxieties. And, you know, if you have, you know, stronger anxiety, you go to the, to a therapist and they would tell you some of the same things as well. So I just find it really helps me. I, you know, I'm very, I feel very fortunate to be in this area just because of how much benefits I gain, you know, selfishly for myself. There are um, there's so many things that are outside of our control, and so many leaders focus get get mired in worrying about all those details that are outside of their control. Uh, and people do professionals. I've got friends who are so obsessed with what this person is going to do, or what this person's going to do, or what might happen in this area of the stock market, or all of those things, where. You know, 99% of the stimulus that drive our world are really outside of our control. And I'm constantly telling leaders that, and, and friends, anybody who will listen to me, <laughs> that those that small 1% or 2% of all the stuff that's in your life that you actually have control over, that's a giant lever to moving your world. But you've got to focus all your effort on what you can actually do. You can actually control and not worry about all the things that are outside of your control. Uh, am I right when I'm talking to people like that or am I missing something there? I love it, I love it. I think you're exactly right because there's so much outside of our control. It's just like, we just can't deal with it. And it's one thing if I say, oh, just stop worrying about it. Like that's probably not gonna work. You know, a person's gonna worry about it because like it's very hard not to, but we can work to focus and to reduce that worry. It's only natural to worry about other things. You know, for example, I might worry, you know, I live in Ohio, so I feel very blessed that I do not have, you know, like hurricanes, uh, earthquakes. We don't have too many natural disasters over here. But, you know, for example, we do have, you know, I was like thinking, I'm like, well, what if there's a natural disaster, some kind of disaster, what would happen? And then I realized I live half a mile from a railroad track where there's like coal, chemicals, all sorts of stuff. So if there's an accident, you know, I'm like four blocks away. And what would happen if there's a chemical accident? And then, of course, I start worrying. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, I need to do something about it. So I looked up the best, you know, emergency preparedness, how to put together a bug out bag, you know, how to be prepared to leave the house. Or I guess in our case, if there's like a chemical accident, I'll probably have to stay in the house. So I bought some plastic sheeting and I got duct tape that I can tape, you know, around the doors to the basement. I have lots of canned food, you know, water. So if something happens now, I feel like, yes, it's outside of my control if there's some freak, you know, chemical accident. And, it, you know, it might not even happen during the time I live in this house or in this neighborhood. But, you know, I'm prepared so I can have less worry and I know exactly what I would do, you know. So and that just kind of goes to so many other areas of our life. We can take steps to prepare. And then one thing, it's kind of like, well, like, what is Agnes doing? Why is she spending time and money preparing for this thing? That's like probably never going to happen. Come on. But then we can also just, you know, use this approach. You can think like if there is an accident, if something happens and this like, you know, railroad goes off the tracks with some kind of toxic cargo, 
And what might happen? I might have to like stay in my basement for like weeks or would there be no running water or like, I don't know, some kind of disaster would happen or folks who live in earthquake prone zones. So what would be the loss? And you can put a number on it. The financial loss, if I'm not prepared. And so say you calculate for some kind of disaster, maybe it's $20,000 would be the loss. And what's the probability of some kind of disaster that, you know, disaster du jour, you know, maybe that you're vulnerable with, say it's 1%, 1%. So then you take 1% of 20,000 and I'm not very good at math. How much is that? 200, $2,000. No, I should have picked an easy example, but anyway, someone can do the math and you basically see <laughs> that is the appropriate number to spend on a disaster. If it's a $100 disaster with a 1% chance of happening, it's okay to spend a dollar. Don't spend more. But if it's a larger disaster, then it's reasonable to spend that amount to prepare for that eventuality. And now I've given up myself as someone who's bad at math, but you can have a calculator and you can figure it out and permit yourself to spend, whether it's hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, to prepare and do what's under your control. And that gives you the freedom once you feel like you've got you've done what you can to prepare for those circumstances that are causing you some anxiety to remove that energy from that anxiety and direct it to something else that's more valuable to you, maybe helps move you forward in your life uh, in a more healthy way than just worrying about things that are outside of your control. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is a vehicle to remove your anxiety too. And I've experienced that in different areas of my life to prepare for things, you know, once I did the thing and then if I get like worried or anxious, I'm like, okay, well, if this happens, I'll do this thing. So you've consulted with you know, organizations of all sizes, uh, leaders in all kinds of industries. What are the biggest blind spots you see when you're working with leaders, uh, you know, what are the blind spots about their own organizations or maybe mm -hmm. about their own leadership uh, or whatever it is? What do you do? You see any trends that are common to uh, even successful leaders as far as what they blind spots that they, you know, they don't recognize until somebody helps them points it out to them? Yeah, well, I mean, I could go on here for hours, of course. <laughs> I have many favorites. <laughs> And, you know, they, they have, we're just vulnerable to such a variety of like thinking errors or the way we're wired for the fight, flight or freeze. And speaking of things that affect us that did not affect, you know, our ancestors in the Savannah, it has a fancy name. It's called hyperbolic discounting. Basically, it means that I think that the present is much more important than the future. So I'm going to have that donut now. And I'm not going to worry that maybe, you know, I'm going to gain weight if I keep having a donut every single day you know, or that I'm going to go to the doctor and the doctor is going to be like, oh, Agnes, your cholesterol is not good. You need medication. And then I'll be have, you know, have that anxiety come back because the donut right now, it just looks so good. It smells so good. It's loaded with amazing sugar. And I mean, what's better than a donut? I mean, I know maybe a salty person, maybe a piece of sushi or something, but I just think that what's now is much more important. And we want to be comfortable instead of thinking what's going to be in the long term. So, for example, you know, going back to the office, you know, to stick with my example, you know, let's come back to the office and it's easy. But then if I didn't think through what the long term impact will be, you know, if I did not make those sacrifices to think for the long term, then it's kind of like I'm devaluing it. It's like, oh, long term doesn't matter right now. I want to come back to the office. 
But in the long term, if people have to go back home and I'm not prepared, I need to go another work from home plan. Maybe instead I should just keep people working from home if they can, of course, or some kind of a hybrid office. So it's easier for people to go back home or something like that. And of course, a classic example of this is investments. Why do people not save enough for retirement? You know, I'd rather spend the money now than save it for later because my retirement is just so far away. You know, I'll never, you know, get old. I'll work forever. It's just not true. The future is very important, but it just feels very distant. So we discount the importance of the future. And that kind of can really come come back to, you know, hurt us in many ways, unfortunately. Yeah, David Meister in his book, Strategy and the Fat Smoker, talks about why it's why so many companies' strategies fail, because he says, we set, you know, we set these goals for the future that look great, but all the rewards are in the future, all the benefits are in the future, and all the pain and hard decision and hard work is right now. And that makes it hard for us as an organization to commit to really make the changes we have to make in order to get where we want to go. And, and so we end up putting a lot of our, our great ideas and, and admirable goals on the shelf because we don't want to do that work right now. And I think that's what you're saying too. Yeah, you're so exactly right. We, just, uh, we have a tendency to, to avoid the pain. Yeah. yeah, you're exactly right. I have one last question for you. It may be what it, it may be a sort of a French goodbye, but when you put on your prediction hat for me for just a minute, what do you think are the two or three biggest changes that are coming to workplaces that most leaders don't see yet? Changes that most leaders don't see. Let's see. Do you have anything so, predictive like, or, do you, or are you too smart to make predictions? <laughs> I'm not sure, but I might need a moment, but let's see. I think one of the things that are, are, is coming that some leaders, not, not many leaders, but definitely some leaders are already being caught kind of unaware is the reluctance of people to go back to the office, you know, nine to five or even at all. So, and we've seen this happen, you know, in the past months, you know, giants, corporate giants like Amazon, and Apple, and even Google had to say, everyone come back to the office. And then a few weeks later, they said, okay, never mind, you can work from home, you know, have the time or whatever. I mean, if it's possible, of course, for you to work from home for the folks who were remote, because people did move away out of state and people did kind of, you know, oh, you know, I don't have to commute. This is stupid. I don't have to do it. And you can't make me. I mean, if you make me, I'll just go find another job. So I think some people are really underestimating that. Uh, and I would say that at the same time, the you know the workforce is being so remote. Just how many workers can be hired from all over the world? You know, if someone's doing a job remotely, you know, for example, you know, folks from countries where there, where there's you know who have a high education but work in a country with a different kind of um, cost of living. You know, I, I wonder if more companies will go to those com to, to those countries and go to the online marketplaces like Upwork to hire their staff or to hire their teams. And so for the employees who are working from home, who are working remotely, how do you stay relevant and make sure that, you know, your job is not outsourced in a way, you know? So that is one thing that I would say. And 
those are the two things that I have. I don't have three things. <laughs> no, no, I think that's great. No, I think, I think that's great. And that's advice that I've given to a lot of HR professionals, but also folks in accounting and other prof- white collar professions who thought their jobs would be safe forever is that with technology and a worldwide marketplace for labor, there's a lot of what you think is your daily work is transactional and that can be outsourced to a computer or to someone else, someplace else in the world, a lot cheaper. And a business for at least a purely transactional work would be in many cases dumb not to consider outsourcing it to a place where they can get the same quality for less. And so what we need as professionals to be doing all the time is thinking about unique ways we can add value uh, and uh, to whoever it is that we're working for. And maybe we have 15 bosses because we become a consultant or a gig worker. Uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as it's fulfilling your, you know, where you want to be personally and professionally uh, in your life. And I, I would, I can't wait to have you back on the show because there's so much to unpeel here still, but that's all the time we have today. So thank you for joining me today, Agnes. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. and would love to get back to it. And for anyone who's interested in learning more and getting some of these resources, we have a free online course that you can sign up for. It's at disasteravoidanceexpert slash subscribe. Oh, disaster slash subscribe. It's completely free. You get, uh, it's not like, you know, here's free and you know, then you have to pay $500 course. No, it's eight free emails. You have videos, you have content and then ongoing information. So you can learn firsthand about these strategies and tips. So uh, hope to see you over there. Thanks for having me. There you go. We'll include that in the show notes as well. Cause that's great. Yeah. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer and imperatives marketing coordinator. Katie Bautista keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, do good, be well, and share with others. We'll talk soon. Have a great weekend.